We're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall they be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain says the Lord. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Usually, I am next door in our contemporary service, but every once in a while, Kevin and I like to switch places to make sure I get some time in here with you and that he gets some time over in the gathering. So, I'm excited to be in here with you this morning. It's, it's been a little while. Thank you for giving me the privilege of, of sharing a message with you all in here. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there is a certain shock value to this text when we read it. There's a certain shock that we get from the future that God is casting for these people. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me this week, it begged the question, can you imagine? I mean, really, when you read this text, can you imagine? Can you imagine this, this new heaven and this new earth? Can you really imagine the vision that God is casting here actually becoming our reality? The lion, one of the fiercest animals that we can think of, munching on straw like an ox, the predator and the prey suddenly feeding together, the serpent no longer a threat, no more distress, no more weeping, infant mortality no longer being a part of our lives, economic equality no more laboring in veins, no more planting fields and not getting to eat the fruit ourselves. Can you imagine? I think the answer, if we're honest with ourselves, the answer that I came to this week, at least in the beginning of my week, is no. No, we can't imagine that. No, I, it's really difficult for me to fathom that truly being my reality. 
I think it's, it's extremely difficult for us as a people to wrap our minds around that actually being our future. What's interesting to me, and I kind of found myself in a rabbit hole this week, but I'm just going to share it with you because I thought it was fascinating, is that there has actually been a lot of research done that backs up our ability or inability as human beings to imagine our future. There's a psychologist at Harvard, his name is Dan Gilbert, and he has spent a lot of time exploring this, right? Our ability or inability to imagine what our future will look like. And I think his research reflects something that we all know to be true as we live our lives. What he found was that at every age and stage of our life, no matter how old you are, you greatly underestimate how much you will change over the next decade. And I think you know that to be true, that we routinely underestimate how much we will change as people over the course of our lives. Or another way to say this would be, we trick ourselves into thinking that we have arrived, that we are complete, that we are finished developing and growing, that we know everything now that we will ever need to know in our lives. One of the things that Dan says in his writing that really stuck with me this week is that human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. We're works in progress, but for some reason we mistakenly think that we're finished. I don't think it matters how old you are, I think you most likely trick yourself into thinking that you have arrived. I remember when I finally made it to fifth grade and I thought, yeah, this is it. I've made it, right? I mean, this is it. This is the pinnacle of my existence. I'm the oldest kid in the school. I was on safety patrol. I don't know if, if elementary schools still do this, but I was practically employed by the school as a fifth grader, right? So I'd get to the school early. I would put on my orange vest and have my orange flag, and I would help all of those puny little underclassmen, right? get out of their cars and cross the street, knowing that if I wasn't there, the carpool line would be an absolute mess. I was king of the mountain. But then, but then I made it to middle school. Woo! And you know, middle school weren't, weren't my brightest days, but there were some high points, right? I got a locker that, so I could change out of my school clothes for PE, so I didn't have to get my school clothes all, all sweaty. My parents started to let me actually walk home from school with my friends. I didn't have to get in the car with mom anymore after school. I got to play in the band. I started to play sports for the school team instead of just for club teams. I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. I have made it. I'm an adult. I even had a little mustache starting to come in, right? But then I got to high school, and I got my driver's license, and there is no better feeling in the world than driving away for the very first time in a car that feels like it's yours, even though you didn't really buy it, without anyone in the car with you. I even got to start staying out past 10 freshman year of high school. That was a big deal. But then I started college, and then I moved to Dallas, and then I got married, and then I became a parent, right? But when I look back at every stage of my life, I tricked myself, and I continue to trick myself, 
thinking that I have arrived, that, that this is it, that I've reached the pinnacle of my life, that it doesn't get any better from here. Dan, that psychologist, boils down that way of thinking into this, the ease of remembering and the difficulty of imagining. I'm sure that we can all look back 10 years ago at our past self and see how much we have changed as an individual. I am very different than senior in high school Ross was. But despite the clarity of looking back, it's still so difficult for us to fathom just how much we will change over the next 10 years. It's really hard for me to imagine who I will be and what I will be like as I'm sneaking up on 40 years old. And my guess, my hunch, is that if you do that right now, you're going to run into the same blocks that I do. So to our question, can we imagine this new heaven and this new earth that God paints for us in the text? Probably not. But the good news is, is that I don't think we're alone. Because the folks that were hearing this vision for the first time were a broken people. They were a a tired people. They were a people who had just made it back to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile in Babylon. They were a people who were returning to a city in ruins. Because remember, Babylon didn't just take the people to exile, they leveled their city. They destroyed everything in sight, including the most important thing at the very center of that city that was their whole identity, the the temple. The people that are hearing this for the first time are a people who are having to start completely over. A people who have come close to, to losing their identity. A people who have been living for the past 70 years in the wake of their decision to turn their backs on God. And this is the words that they hear from the prophet. The vision that God casts before them. God finally speaks up. A God who they may have thought doesn't really want anything to do with them anymore. And he says, hear, O Israel, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth. I'm making a new place, a new creation where there won't be any more weeping or distress, where there will be no more infant mortality, where a death at a hundred years will be considered an early death, where unlike when you were in exile, you're going to build houses for yourself, not for others. You're going to plant vineyards and then you're going to get to eat the fruit. This is going to be a place where you no longer labor in vain, a place where your offspring, your children, are blessed. You may have felt distant from me in exile, but this new heaven and this new earth that I am creating for you, in it you will be so close to me, God says, that before you call, I will answer, and before you speak, I will hear you. This will be a place of peace where the wolf and the lamb will feed together, where the lion will no longer eat flesh. God is casting for these people, God is painting for them a future 
that would have been completely and totally unimaginable. On the heels of exile, having just arrived home, worshiping in a makeshift temple, trying to put the pieces back together, having lost a whole generation of their people over these last 70 years. God paints for them a utopian, ideal future that God is going to create. God even says, it's it's in the first verse, God even says that in this new heaven and new earth that it will be so overwhelming, so all-encompassing that you won't even remember this season. You won't even remember the pain that the last 70 years have been. Can you imagine? I think if they were to look at their current circumstances while listening to this word from the prophet, that it would have been laughable, much less unbelievable. And the reason that I felt convicted to preach this message is because I know that when I read passages like this, passages that depict and cast before us this this final restoration of creation back to its original state, sometimes, if I'm honest with myself, it is really difficult for me to imagine. Because sometimes I feel like those exiles that have just made their way back home. Because I look around and I see division, and I see resentment, and I see anger, and I see war, and I see folks who are hungry and folks who are cold. I see people not able to receive the medical care that they need. I see families struggling to find a place to belong. I see pain and fatigue and exhaustion and folks that are just in survival mode. And then I read a passage like this full of hope and restoration and everything that I'm looking for, just like the Israelites. And for some reason, it is just really difficult for me to imagine. And this is just one of the many times in Scripture where a future like this is cast before us, a future that, if we're honest, is hard for us to imagine. So the question that we're left with is, what are we supposed to do in response? If that's where we are, honestly, as a people of faith, then what is our response to that supposed to look like? Should we just read the text over and over and over again until we get to a place where we think we can actually imagine, until we can picture it? I mean, really, what, what do we do now? Well, I think the answer in part is to get to work. The exiles that were making their way home, they heard the vision for this new creation, this, this new Jerusalem that would no longer be filled with the sound of weeping and of distress, this, this promise that God would one day be as close to them as the breath in their lungs. And instead of throwing their hands in the air, instead of believing that their current circumstances were permanent, they got to work. The whole books of Ezra and Nehemiah are books of the Bible that tell the story of this work. The rebuilding process that ensued after these people had made their way back home, back to Jerusalem. The first thing they did was rebuild the temple something that ended up taking them about 46 years. But my guess, my guess is that when they finished that project and they were able to take a step back and look at the completed second temple, 
that just for a moment they could imagine. My guess is that as they rebuilt their city walls and their homes, as their fields began to flourish and their markets began to fill with goods and services, again, as they felt the presence of God within them and around them, my hunch is that for brief moments they could imagine. I think our calling in response to this text is to not be limited by our own imagination. I think our calling instead is to be willing to join God in that redemptive work that we trust He is doing. I think our calling is to, is to get started, trusting that, that true transformation as individuals and as communities, that it's possible because of who God is. And I know that when I am willing to do that, when I'm willing to to get started, to trust that God is working and moving through me, even though I'm a little unclear of how He does that at times, when I do that, for moments, I too feel like I can imagine. This past Sunday was, was All Saints Sunday, and in the gathering next door, we invited folks to light candles that we had placed on the altar as a way for them to give thanks for the saints in their life, but also as a space for them to remember and and to grieve those people that have gone on before them that they miss and that they cherish. And, And as I watched people do that last week, young and old, some with smiles on their faces, some with tears rolling down their eyes, lighting a candle, trusting that because of who God is, they know that these people live on and that they will see them again one day. Friends, for just a moment, I could imagine. The night before, last Sunday, last Saturday night, I was in Panama City officiating a wedding for some close friends of mine. And Saturday night was a long night for me because I made the drive back to get back in time for Sunday. But it was worth it. Because standing up at the altar with them, watching two individuals with the sun setting behind them, promising to love one another like Christ loves them, watching them trust that God is going to be walking alongside them as they make this journey called marriage, getting to pray over them that they would always be willing to go wherever it is that God is leading them for just a moment, for just a moment. I could imagine. We've had a lot of babies get born in the gathering over this past year, which means I have gotten to baptize a lot of babies in the gathering. And it's, it's never fail, never fail. Getting to hold a child and look into their eyes and wash the waters of baptism over their head in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit every single time for just a moment. I can imagine that new heaven and that new earth. I think when we get to work, when we go where God is leading, when we start rebuilding those city walls, when we are willing to walk with folks through their grief, when we celebrate holy days with friends, when we welcome beloved children into the family of God, when we seek to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, suddenly we can imagine. 
My hope for us this morning, friends, is that we wouldn't be like fifth grade Ross. My hope is that we would stop underestimating what God can do through us and to us in the future. And instead, that we would start imagining and seeing our place and our role in this new creation that God is forming in our midst. My hope is that we would be willing to trust that God can do more with us, more with our witness, more with our gifts, and more with our presence than we ever dreamed were possible if we're just willing to say yes. My hope is that we would start living without fear into the people that we know God is calling us to be. I hope that we can become a people who realize that though it may be hard to imagine, that we have the opportunity each and every day to be a part of and to see glimpses of this new heavens and this new earth that is all around us. Friends, the good news for us this morning is that we are not finished, that God is not finished with us, that God is not finished with this church, that God is not finished with this community. Rather, we are a holy work in progress. So let's get to work. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m. and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.